Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to another beautiful winter week here from Wisconsin, even though we are heading into a spring election primary for the state Supreme Court. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But first, I got to welcome in Robert Craig, our Executive Director, who is with us this week. Robert, good to have you back, back from San Fran. Yeah, good to be here, except for the weather. Uh, Come on, Robert, it's February 9th, and it is raining in Milwaukee. That doesn't happen all that often, or maybe it does. Would you rather have it be, you know, around 28 with with snow on the ground? Absolutely, but Robert, Robert, this is all part of the transitioning to uh, Milwaukee being... Uh, vacation paradise in 50 years apparently more like st louis weather in the winter than (laughs) yes well folks we did not you didn't come here to hear us talk about the weather we have a lot of topics um we are going to be joined later in the show by our north central co-op organizer joel lewis he's been on before uh joel is gonna be kicking off uh some canvassing for the supreme court race this uh this Sunday, excuse me. And so he's going to talk a little bit about that. Also talk about some climate work they're doing in, uh, in Wausau area. And we'll just hear more about his co-op. We're also going to be joined later in the show, uh, by Tobita Chow. We've had Toby on before to talk about what we see is really dangerous. Uh, shall we say cold war demagoguery, uh, in this country around China. And of course, we have to talk to, to Toby about the the balloon and all of the things that are connected to it. And this has been an ongoing conversation we've been having with Toby over the last year. We look forward to chatting with him. Glad he could come back. But Robert, I uh, want to talk with you before we get to all that State of the Union this week. want to get your reactions to that. And then, of course, the president immediately came to Wisconsin to talk about his state of the union. And I do want to talk about um, sort of what I thought was very unique about it and um, gives me some, um, some, some hope. Be curious to hear your thoughts. We're also going to talk about the state budget here. It is right in front of us next week is governor Tony Evers state budget address. And we're going to talk more about this critical fight and battle around the budget. It is going to consume all state politics until summer. So we're going to be knee deep in that. We'll get more into that. Robert, I want to get your thoughts on the president's State of the Union speech this week. Um, I'll just, before I kick it to you, and then, of course, anything related to him coming here on Wednesday and basically, you know, really pitching the economic components. And I want to start there and just say, Robert, I'm going to pollute the conversation by saying I thought it was one of Biden's best speeches that I've heard him give. And in particular, because I didn't expect it. He's not been particularly sharp. (laughs) I thought uh, uh, the last year or so, I mean, policy wise is different, but just him, right? I thought he was feisty. I thought he seemed extremely with it. And Overall, what I liked most was it was the most, shall we say, it was almost like a paradigm shift. And I hate the term paradigm, Robert, uh, from the academia where we can't come out of. Uh, But this massive shift in uh, his approach to the economy and really it's 
especially it's a break from previous Democratic presidents, you know, Obama's small government, you know, all this stuff where he actually talked about a robust economy and centered what I would describe as the core economic things that a, a robust democratic government can do to create opportunity for people. And that was sent in front and center last night. Robert, I want to get your thoughts. Sorry if I uh, had too much, but your thoughts on the no. state of the union. No, that was good. That was good analysis, Matt. So look, uh, our friends in the Democratic Party, we are Democrats, progressive Democrats, trying to push the Democrats more in this direction, have often been very reluctant to admit that the Clinton administration, the Obama administration also moved right, that neoliberalism was bipartisan, that both President Clinton and President Obama pushed free trade agreements, okay, that have been devastating, have hollowed out jobs, union jobs, and manufacturing in this country. And you know, I've been saying for a while, we've been saying, Matt, you have too, that Biden, after he won the nomination, did sue for peace with progressives, did find common ground with the Sanders wing of the party, did introduce, didn't get it all passed, thanks to Manchin and Cinema, uh, the most progressive agenda since uh, LBJ and FDR. And he articulated that paradigm shift. And so, it was that we need to plan, use the leverage of democracy to create good jobs here. And it was partly the manufacturing jobs that was lost, but it was also future looking, the new green economy and what we do with those jobs, right? And it was also the supports people need to work. I mean, there's a weird kind of problem. Maybe it's because Biden is this transitional figure where he's from the old guard in many ways, but doing some new guard things. He's a fusion, mm -hmm. right? That it's he, he's not, it's not understood sometimes how progressive the things are he's advocating. He was advocating for paid family leave. Pause. That's a huge freaking yep. deal with the only net, it, rich country without it. Uh, affordable child care. He had a plan for that and build back together and early edu early education, a game changer for not only the economic security of workers, but their ability to do work and to can go I, and, and, and have opportunity. Can and I add one other on, thing, Robert? And, and I was going to say taxing the rich. Thank you. Millionaires tax and directly. And that's wildly popular. And he is going against the donor class that funds his own party in these outrageously expensive campaigns that Citizens United and the right-wing conspiracy against any regulation of, of bribery, essentially, legalized bribery, has, has wrought in our country. So it is, I don't think it's even wrong to call the paradigm shift, Matt. I mean, when football coaches use the word, I figure it's left to the academia. Yeah, well, I believe academia, even when I was in it, was trying to uh, distance itself from the term paradigm shift. Anyways, we will throw that into the dustbin and just say, look, anyone who grew up in our generation, right? You heard those speeches, right? You knew the triangulation, these kinds of terms. Yeah. There was none of that last night. If anything, huh, uh, McCarthy, right? Like he, he's got to deal with people yelling liar and right. Just behavior that, Still, does that that stuff does not appeal to any of this mushy middle class, middle of the road, independent type. 
it was it was a masterclass effort for Biden, I think, with those kind of voters and really focusing in on some of the core popular issues that, quite frankly, we're always like, why are we not doing better at elections? We're all of our issues are always so popular. Well, because we haven't had a full throated defense of them. And this was to me the where they're centered in what we're talking about here. And so I just wanted to call that out. Because I thought it was, I thought it was really important. We on the progressive side, because we need economic education, Robert. I've talked about this on our side, and I feel like Biden started to lay out some rudimentary sort of core progressive economic principles that us as progressives need to lean into, and have a lot of work to do in our suburbs and areas where voters are growing and having a deeper understanding what a robust democratic government could look like. Well, and progressives need to back him up. The play he's made to move towards the left is to get the support of progressives, the the rising, very progressive young generations, right? A lot of, you know, and, the, and, and a lot of people who have been left out in this country, who we address directly, the forgotten Americans not being some kind of silent racist like Nixon, but being average middle-class people who have been left behind, right? And working-class people. And in every area, including rural areas that misunderstand some of those voters, who is actually doing it, right? It's not uh, black and brown people in major cities that are that are destroying rural America at all. It's the people you've elected to represent you in many cases, unfortunately, but we have to have that conversation. Um, and so we need to back him up we also need to realize that if he's going wants to run for re-election, he's going to. So stop going back and forth on that. And then he will be the nominee if he runs. Uh, but if he's not going to run, he's not going to announce it now. So it's a stupid sidetrack conversation, uh, punditry. It's punditry rather than action. Need to back him up. We need to win these arguments. The right-wing response, Republican response, Matt, was he's out of touch with Wisconsin. They care about inflation. They have no inflation plan. And austerity, slashing schools, slashing health care doesn't do anything. You know what? Capping prescription drug prices does. Negotiating with Medicare does. These are from President Biden's State of the Union. And allowing, because the Republicans blocked it, applying it to all insurance beyond Medicare would help even more. And he wants that, and they're blocking it. So that's part of what he talks about with finishing the job. Well, we're going to have to go to our first break, but I just it it's important that that we talk about this because next week, and we're going to transition, we're we're going to have a state of the state. Our budget, excuse me, I'm, I'm confusing. We had our state of the state, right? We're going to have a budget address by Governor Evers. And I want to remind our listeners, because we're going to talk a lot about the state budget. It's going to play out uh, between now and summer. It is the only place where Governor Evers has real leverage, where the Republicans have to deal with him in the legislature, because otherwise they can ignore him. And really his leverage is his veto, which we know he's going to use extensively given uh, the legislature we have. But the budget's huge. We're going to talk more about it. We're going to talk about it in in comparison to what we just heard the State of the Union. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us all over the socials, folks. If you're not there, please. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Robert, so I said before the break, we are about to have a really big state budget fight here in Wisconsin. Um, it'll 
be the only thing of great substance uh, at the state level between now and the next election. And again, it's the only place where Governor Evers has to be dealt with. They need him to sign a budget. Um, and so he, we've been arguing he needs to use that leverage to be as aggressive as possible, first in what he puts out in his state budget, which we will hear about this week. Um, but then, and Robert will talk more about this, is what does he really fight for when the Republicans, as they promised to do after the state of the state, rip it up, throw it on the floor and start all over again? So what is it that he's really going to fight about? And Robert, I want to put front and center the debate around shared revenue. We had Kate Felton on uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, she has been working extraordinarily hard up in Eau Claire, our organizing director, but also city council member and trying to get folks really organized around shared revenue increases. It's been historically something that the city of Milwaukee and folks have really fought for big cities. But Robert, Governor Evers says he's going to have significant increase in shared revenue in his budget. I want to get your thoughts on that particular. Republicans have expressed that they want to also increase it. My guess is it won't be anything near, and they will use this as an area of fight. I want to get your thoughts on it as we head into the state budget uh, on shared revenue in particular, but then anything related to the speech this upcoming, it's Wednesday, right? So I again want to point out that Governor Evers is an ally. He is a necessary ally. The Democratic Party is a broad coalition, and it's the coalition against the attack on democracy and, and proto-fascism. And so when I, when I disagree with Governor Evers, I'm not saying target him, yell at him, but I'm saying we need to, as progressives, also push him to be bolder the way President Biden has become, right, and as, as president. And so shared revenue, great that Governor Evers announced a plan, okay? Not so great given that it's a negotiation, let's face it, right? If he uses his veto pen, he can negotiate and has leverage in this process, that he started with something that isn't all that is needed. Why not start with all that is needed? It does not do enough to fix the fiscal crisis in Milwaukee, not imposed by irresponsibly in Milwaukee. Robin Voss is lying, but by the state reneging the legislature on the social compact where we won't give cities and counties uh, any kind of uh, much, much capacity like others around the country to raise revenue, but we will share our revenue with you and it will come from a broad progressive income tax. And so it's about it might be, I'm trying to, no one's exactly sure. It might be a half, maybe it's more, maybe it's 6% of what Milwaukee would need, for example. Why start with that? Because they're not going to, but that is a difference we have with how Governor thinks they're more likely to compromise if he doesn't announce what is necessary. I don't think that at all. I think that yeah, negotiations tend to land somewhere in the middle. That's my experience. And so there's that, but it's good that at least compared to the other side, it's visionary. Now, what I don't like much is, okay, I like the idea of the 20% of something that grows. Not so much the state tails tax because that's a regressive tax, okay? But at least what that means is it goes up every year, therefore it's not frozen. So that's good. It could link to something else. I don't like the authority to increase local sales taxes, half a percent for everywhere outside Milwaukee up to a percent in Milwaukee because it's the most regressive tax. It's a tax on poor and working class people. Why not put all of the shared revenue 
on the income tax because the income tax is the most progressive, even if they as they make it more regressive, which they have over the years, because there's always so much for goods and services, a percentage of income rich people can pay, uh, end up paying, even if they buy yachts. And so the result is all the taxable things are a much higher percentage of working class and middle class people's income than wealthier people. So they want to raise sales taxes and have a flat tax. It's a massive giveaway to billionaires and increase for everyone else. So that, but quite frankly, I think we need to move in a more progressive direction the way we see just saw President Biden do that we discussed in the last segment. Yeah, no, I, look, it stands in Mark Hunt. I would love to see some type of millionaire, billionaire, right? Some type of very progressive tax that the governor proposes. One, it's wildly popular. It helps parallel what's happening on the federal level. So he's in step with a you know, very popular national position and position in state. It's not a, the state polling is not a step with that. And it also helps expose the flat tax, right, for being awful. And he can talk about the flat tax being awful and say, this is what we should do and actually propose something that's more popular. Right. And yeah, what it hopefully leads to is like nothing. Right. As opposed to us coming in with no revenue and having to debate them about tax cuts, which is where we are right now. And he's talking about some middle class tax cuts, which I'm not like I'm not opposed to. But like, where's the revenue then? We're just talking about less revenue for government, which goes against everything. And why that I just said was so special about the state of during 90s just to call it middle class tax cuts. I mean, let's face it, Clinton was say was trying to say I'm not helping low income people, right? We don't need to say that anymore in the current environment. Well, I just think it's dumb and it's not right. smart politically. It doesn't show it doesn't show up at all in the polling and it is worth pointing out folks. Like let's remember like very moderate centrist Jim Doyle increased the top individual tax bracket. We immediately, you know, <laughs> seem to want to get rid of it but like it wasn't that long ago that we made our what is a pretty unprogressive income tax structure in the state more progressive just a few just less than 20 years ago right 15 years ago so there's no reason why we can't put this back in it's popular anyways robert i i wanted to at least have the discussion around state of the union with you you know first of all i want to let our listeners know that we this is going to be an epic fight and we really do need we need our listeners to get engaged in this with conversations with your local electeds your mayors your county execs your people who are elected to your councils right school boards they need to be pushing governor evers to fight for this stuff because robert republicans said they're going to tear it up tear up Evers' budget, what he talks about next week, and start all over. So really what we're talking about here is how do we, instead of being obsessed and focused with the state legislature and joint finance, think about a six-month, five-month strategy on the governor? Because ultimately, he's he's going to be the one who decides here, Robert. Well, let's, let's just follow President Biden, who is from Governor Evers' wing of the party, but has evolved, right? Remember the old adage, evolve or die. Um, he laid down what would he would veto. 
and laid down markers and completely embarrassed the Republicans on Social Security and Medicare with a good assist from Ron Johnson uh, for his idiocy, uh, one of the ones who said it out loud. Um, and he and I think Governor Evers should say, I'm going to veto any budget that doesn't do X on shared revenue. I'm going to veto any budget that doesn't expand Badger Care. And uh, then, you know, because they said your budget's dead on arrival. He has the power to say, <laughs> well, your budget will be dead on arrival if it doesn't have these things. Now, if they want to negotiate, then he should negotiate with them. But this our way or the highway approach that they love because they're authoritarian but, men mostly doesn't have to be accepted by him if he uses his full constitutional uh, power. Matt. I, I hear you, Robert. I'm telling you, I don't expect Evers to say that. I think, and what I'd like to get your comments on, like I think it's critical that we get local electeds. We need, unlike anything we've seen before, clarity that they need to be talking to Governor Evers between now in in May, when the budget Republican budget gets clear and it basically tosses out most of the key things we care about, as opposed to our normal thing is we obsess over lobbying the legislator, going and hitting the Joint Finance Committee, hitting the trail. And it's very legislative focused. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, the governor makes a decision, right? And it's like everything happens. And my concern is like sharpness with local officials around both education funding, shared revenue, and just a clarity around that. We need our listeners' help to be in direct communication with your local electeds around this and being clear with them. It's not like, hey, great, I want you to go to the Joint Finance Committee when that comes around, but we need to be talking to Governor Evers and not just sort of like forget after he gives his state of the state and says, or state of the his budget and like, okay, I'm out of this now. I'll, I'll see you in May. Right. Let, let me put it this way. He, Governor Evers, wins if he forces a budget crisis over these popular issues. OK, shared revenue, badger care expansion. There are others. OK, I think I think uh, I think there are others. So what we're really trying to do is persuade Governor Evers to be firmer and use his, his power. Now, how do we do that? I think we do it by showing a firestorm of support in the legislative process. So the way to think about it is the Joint Finance Committee is not the real audience. Uh, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail seems to be aimed at moderate ministers in the South who won't take a stand. It's really aimed at the northern public. And so I think we can do both things. I also think we need to directly try to persuade Governor Evers. But Governor Evers needs to feel wind at his sails, like the public will be behind him if he veto if he does major well, vetoes. I hear you. I feel like we had wind, major wind at his sails the last two cycles from joint fine from this process, right? Pushing the legislature. And I think, quite frankly, I know like I could just speak from our we I don't want to say we stopped talking and pressuring the governor at that. We focused and did the usual thing, the state ledge, and that's the venue now. And and I'm just concerned. I agree with you, Robert. I'm not saying we don't still do that. It's and we have got to do this Evers program and be clear with him in this process. So when he gets to the choke point in May, he's heard from us and we don't have to launch it. Folks, we got to take a break. Robert, really love hearing your opinion on this. It's super important fight for us here in the state, but 
Folks, you're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joel Lewis, our organizer in the Wausau area, the North Central Co-op. Folks, Battleground Wisconsin, we're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are joined by Joel Lewis. Joel Lewis is a longtime Wausau native and an longtime organizer of the North Central Co-op, and he has been on this show before. Joel, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on, Matt. Well, Joel, I, I asked you to come on because I wanted you to talk about a couple of things. One, you are launching your Supreme Court field work this Sunday uh, before the primary, which I think is outstanding. You're going to be on the doors. Tell our listeners more about that. So if they're anywhere near the Wausau area, uh, that they can uh, join you. Yeah, this Sunday at 10 o'clock, we're meeting at the Labor Temple, and we're going to get out uh, ahead of the primary and, and encourage folks to get out the vote for Everett Mitchell and Janet Protosewicz. And uh, it's just really exciting. Um, people seem to be pretty happy that we did a dual endorsement because there is this this mixture of, of you know, some people like Everett, some people like Janet. So it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm finding that my conversations with members, uh, they're, they're both pumped about our forum, and they're also happy that we're out there getting the work done. Well, Joel, look, I, I'm, you know, I wanted to have you on because you're our, of all of our co-ops, you're the first one who's having this. And so I'm super excited about it. We think these conversations, and again, folks, we, we're trying to have what we're calling deep canvas conversations, i.e. we're just not in there with the quick hit, only around the candidate. You know, what do you, where are you? Spit something back at you. We're trying to have deeper conversations, find leaders, people who will join our co-ops, will get involved, get off the couches. And let's remember, people, this isn't off your spring election. This is all about turnout. It's about do our folks who share our values get out with us. And those are the same people we need to get into our organizations. Joel, tell our listeners a little bit more about your co-op, right? Like this, your permanent organization, you've been leading this work for a while, and you have some pretty damn amazing stuff going on, particularly around climate work. Um, let folks know a little bit more about what your co-op does in addition to this canvas. Absolutely. So a little over six years ago, uh, the North Central Organizing Co-op was formed. Uh, shortly after that, we had a steering committee formed, and that's also our nominations committee. They help oversee the work that we're doing. And, and if there's for some reason something they don't like, they have the opportunity to say, hey, we want we don't know if we want our organizer working on this. Um, and this has allowed us to not only work on state and national uh, stuff, but also local issue campaigns. And uh, so one of those things is is working with the city of Wasa to hopefully develop what's called a climate action plan. Uh, they're calling it. They're going about it a little bit different than other municipalities. They uh, their sustainability committee has created what's called a greenhouse gas reduction resolution, and the language within that resolution commits to a municipal energy plan. So it has passed that sustainability committee in in large part due to the uh, advocacy of members and people in the community, and now it's going on to the public health and safety committee. Uh, and so hopefully we can get it through there and then on to the common council. Uh, but this would would make the city 100% renewable by the year 2050. And Matt, you were talking about like meeting people on the doors and like finding out what issues matter to them. Some of the very people that have been involved in this effort, that's how we met them was on the doors or at events related to our election work. Outstanding, Joel. And again, we talk about this on the show a lot. Democracy is participatory. It is super important to get involved. And the only way we can fight back against big money, whether it be in Supreme Court elections or in our own communities trying to 
you know, have the values we want play out like at our city council or school board is to be involved uh, and get involved. Joel, so like if someone wanted to, you know, either get involved in your climate work, get involved in the Supreme Court, how do they get in touch with you? Um, and, and I really want to encourage people, if you live at all in the area, you should become a member of the North Central Co-op. Joel? Yeah, uh, so the best way is joel.lewis at citizenactionwi.org. You can also go to citizenactionwi.org and find any of our staff uh, on there, and you can find the work that's happening all across the state. I feel those are the best ways to to, to get a hold of us. And I, I want to make one more mention about getting out on the doors. You know, I, I've been doing this a long time, but the first time I started out, I remember how nervous I felt and how, uh, you know, sometimes you have those bad conversations, so it might be a deterrent to going out. But I got to tell you, some of these deeper conversations that we're having, even with people that might not be on our side on all things, are really powerful. And people are not used to people coming to their doors and actually listening to them. Uh, and so, you know, give it a try. If you've done canvassing before and you're like, I don't know, give our method a try. I, I believe that you might like it. And and I want to underscore that because last fall, I, I was out like seven or eight weekends in a row, went to almost every one of our co-op communities. And had amazing conversations in each area. And all I can say is this is the only way I don't, we're not going to raise $25 million, right? Like we don't, that's not who we are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have to get much sharper and better about actually effectively listening to others, right? Not just always having all the answers. And and, and these conversations are great. I've had people tell me amazing stuff, Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just underscore that and let people know we'll be off in other regions. Green Bay, I know the following weekend will be going out Saturday. Maybe we'll have Natalie on next week to talk more about that. But Joel, any final words for our listeners about the co-op, why they should become a member, any final things, but really want to thank you and appreciate you coming on. Yeah. I just think that, you know, citizen action is is one of the only organizations in the state that's investing in organizers in all parts of the state. And, and this is vitally important, right? We need urban and rural to be out there active and involved and, and helping push the needle in the right direction. And we can't do that without your involvement. So uh, please, you know, get get a hold of me at joel.lewis at citizenactionwi.org or go to the website, citizenactionwi.org. Thanks. Hey, Joel, thank you so much. Good luck this weekend. Hope it goes great. Thank you. With that, we, of course, thank Joel a ton for coming on. I actually uh, blew his phone up late last night and <laughs> I really appreciate him coming on. Uh, however, our next guest... We're just rolling guest after guest. Robert didn't even get a chance to to talk to Joel. I monopolized it. Robert, I hope you're back ready because our next guest is Tobita Chow. He has been on with us so many times. Global is uh, Justice is Global, which is an outstanding group. Again, we'll have a link to them. But Toby, welcome back. Glad to be back. Well, you're back because it's been quite a week. It is, it's all, it's been surreal. And uh, again, everybody knows what I'm referencing. Um, we have had Toby on to talk about multiple times now over the last year, the growing anti-China sentiment politically uh, that seems to be brewing 
towards a cold war. In fact, the last time, Toby, we had you on, you know, we titled that a brewing cold war. Well, nothing that's happened since then has slowed that down. And then this China balloon, uh, unbelievable and uh, how it's being used by the right and the media. And so we wanted to have you come on and provide some perspective to this, especially given the conversation around um, this just this brewing seems to be a desire to have a Cold War with China. Toby? Yeah, um, the level of attention that this balloon has gotten, um, like you would you would assume it's responsible for some actual problems um, in, in the country. Like maybe the balloon is why our bridges are crumbling. Maybe the balloon is is why like workers don't have paid time off. Um, it's yeah. As someone I saw someone note on Twitter. Um, it's gotten way more attention than this like horrifying train like rail accident in Ohio that's causing this huge uh, like poisonous uh, chemical spill that's um, that's causing people to like flee their community. Um, and like there's something that has actually impacted flesh and blood people in the United States, as opposed to this balloon, which even the Pentagon originally said, this is not a real threat. And despite that, we still see how it's playing out in the media and how right-wing politicians and militarists are able to demagogue around it. Well, and Toby, we, we've been honest about talking about the Democrat sort of role in not really being full-throatedly fighting against this. And it's uneven, right? There are people in the party who you know, definitely fight against this, but we're often seeing this not really fought against in a lot of, you know, playing into this and even the response to this, this balloon, I think, um, demonstrated some of that. Um, you saw some Democrats criticizing the lack of response as if this is a real serious threat, um, which is disturbing. And you're, you accurately come on here and point out all the things that really are a threat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Toby. Yeah, I think there's two things about uh, sort of the lackluster uh, response from Democrats that we see about this, or even like feeding the flames very often. Um, I think, uh, you know, there are plenty of Democrats who are militarists, who are pro-Pentagon spending, and this is very useful um, for them. Like that is not just a thing on the Republican side. Um, I think there are uh, other like many Democrats who think that, um, uh, you know, China threat inflation is politically useful for them in other ways. Uh, there's been this notion for a number of years now that uh, China can be used as a foreign threat that will unite the country and can be the thing that will overcome the partisan polarization in this country, which I think is deeply, deeply mistaken. And then I think there's also, uh, and I think this was part of what happened with the Biden administration too, uh, fear of getting attacked for being soft on China which is something we've seen over and over again. We saw that in the war on terror. Terror. Even Democrats who knew better felt like they had to they had to go right on foreign policy uh, to protect themselves from being attacked um, for being soft on the enemy. Absolutely, Toby. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk more about this absolutely critical topic, folks. You're listening to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking about the growing, uh, and I'll just say it, it's mostly amongst political class in Washington, uh, just anti-China rhetoric that just got put on steroids this week with the balloon. Um, this weekend, I uh, was watching Meet the Press, and they had a they had a discussion. Of course, this led the discussion, and they put up a poll that said, should Congress take a harder line on China? 
82% GOP said we should, 70% independents said we should, 69% of Democrats said we should. It's a disturbing number. It speaks to, Toby, what you were talking about before the break, right? Like that there's been, there, there, within the Democratic Party, right, we have this militaristic or desire sometimes to find an enemy, right, in some ways. And this seems to demonstrate that. Um, I know, Toby, you also sent some polling that shows, right, like if people are, in, you know, given more positive, encouraging alternatives, they're also supportive of that, too, which speaks to actual leadership from our po political class to guide mm -hmm. us in the right direction. Could you talk more about that? Because, like, I think that that's really what's at stake here. And please let our listeners know more about uh, the, some of that polling you sent that shows, right, like if given an alternative, like there's another path and militarization and war, Cold War with China, folks are really also open to that. Yeah, um, so I think like it makes a lot of sense, and I think there's a lot of like a, a lot of realistic basis um, for people wanting to see U.S. policy that can like do something to to change the direction of of governance in in China. Like, there's a lot of valid critiques about China. The U.S.-China economic relationship absolutely has to change um, uh, there, and you know. The Chinese government has gone in a very extreme authoritarian nationalist direction, violating human rights, threatening Taiwan, all of that. Um, so a lot of grounds for uh, um, wanting the U.S. If, if there's something that the U.S. can do to have a positive impact, um, then, of course, I think we'd all want to see that. I think the problem is that uh, this, this, this more aggressive and belligerent and hawkish approaches from the U.S. more often than not actually just make the problems worse um, and feed the worst tendencies among China's leaders rather than pushing them in a, in a more positive direction. Um, so I think uh, uh, there's a way that, um, uh, you know, justified concerns can, uh, that people have about China's government can get manipulated in ways that are actually uh, just more destructive. Um, and like you said, there's also um, other polling that shows that when you ask people questions, like uh, should, the, should US leaders engage in talks with Chinese leaders to deescalate tensions, People are in favor of that by a large margin. Uh, the uh, American Friends Service uh, uh, Committee just uh, released a poll that showed uh, that showed this. Um, in, in previous years, the people have been asked about um, uh, U.S.-China cooperation around fighting uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, U.S.-China cooperation around combating climate change all around the world. You ask people these questions about these concrete ways that US leaders and Chinese leaders can come together and address shared problems. Um, and people say, yeah, let's do that. So, um, you know, th this is one of the things where uh, if you ask people um, uh, uh, polling questions that are more aggressive against China, they'll say, yeah, that makes sense. But if you ask people questions about constructively working together with China, then they're in favor of that as well. And what that tells us is that um, popular opinions on the US-China relationship are remain like pretty ambiguous and mixed and people hold together uh, ideas that might seem contradictory. Um, and there is a role here uh, for us as, as progressives to help people think through this stuff and, uh, and, uh, and sort of uh, encourage some of the better instincts that are out there uh, among the, the American people, uh, because we know that the other side is doing this all the time. Yeah, and look, we just talked about our deep canvas as it relates to the state Supreme Court. It's the same thing, people. 
Listeners, it is so important. Our agency, both us as activists, how we communicate in our communities to other people about issues like this, what we ask of our leaders is super important. And what Toby just brought up versus the poll I brought up shows again how important our leaders are to help guide us in areas and as opposed to take us in negative instincts, right? Trump played into that. Uh, Robert, you get the next question. Well, I think you're both right. Particularly in foreign policy, the public takes cues from leaders. And so leaders can create this. And leaders have a self-interest in this. There really still is, it's more powerful than ever, a massive military-industrial complex. Uh, weapons manufacturers have taken over our universities. The best jobs for most kinds of science are, are essentially going to work for munitions manufacturers. And so they have a huge financial interest in having a new Cold War. And Cold War is, let's face it, it's a misnomer. <laughs> the last Cold War was in danger of being a hot war. The other all the time. The other thing is people should understand both kinds of wars, hot or cold wars, are enemies to progressive reform and all we care about. Uh, think about the last time we had a major conflict with an Asian-led nation. I mean, at a, at a superpower level, Japan. And not only that lead to a war, obviously, but it also led uh, to uh, one of the great black marks in American history, the Japanese internment camps, and a whole lot of other oppression because you have a racial dynamic added to a foreign policy dynamic. And a lot of experts think what ended the era of reform, progressive era, New Deal, was the Cold War. And the Cold War led to the witch hunts against communists. These times, I guess, there'll be a witch hunt against whatever wokeism means to Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Ron DeSantis, but whatever term they've come up with for the enemy. And so, and, and Toby, you've been attacked even by some progressives for being somehow in bed for, with China for calling this out, which is stunning. And you just, you just all heard Toby talk about the authoritarian centralization in China and how that is a problem. But also remember Toby just said that our behavior makes it worse. If you want to strengthen that authoritarian system, then create an American enemy in a war risk there that they can mobilize their population with behind that regime. So you're worried about Hong Kong, you're worried about Taiwan. This doesn't make anything better. It makes it all worse, right? Um, and Toby, can you say a little more about you know, anti-Asian sentiment and how that has been a real problem and how this revs it up, this becomes the new COVID in some ways, if we allow it to continue. And it goes beyond Chinese Americans because uh, racists are not known for their discerning nature. You know, so all people of Asian, Asian ethnicity become targets. Yeah, I think we've seen this recur throughout US history when, uh, the specter of a foreign threat uh, becomes uh, politically powerful and used by by demagogues in domestic politics. You see these, uh, you know, these these racist um, effects of that. Most recently, the war on terror, um, which led to widespread Islamophobia, and uh, which which also impacted people who who weren't Muslim, but you know, quote unquote, looked Muslim uh, in the eyes of of racists who are famously not that discerning, um, and. The what we we have seen part part of what we have seen uh, in the rise of anti Asian racism since 2020 uh, is this uh, uh, 
you look at these incidents, the Stop API Hate Project has, has uh, done a report on this, uh, looking at incidents where um, uh, some form of the, the China threat narrative was explicitly invoked by the perpetrator of anti-Asian uh, hate crimes. Um, and three of the ones that show up are, um, you're responsible for COVID, like you're, you're Chinese and China did COVID. That's one, that's one narrative that shows up. Another is that you're a spy invoking this national security frame. Um, uh, you're, you're an agent of the Chinese Communist Party. So that's, that's why I'm going to attack you. Um, and another, the third one uh, that has shown up is um, uh, the economic threat narrative that uh, you're, you're taking our jobs. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, like about uh, 40 years ago, there was the incident with Vincent Chen um, uh, in a suburb of Detroit, where at the time there were fears of, of the economic threat of Japan and this narratives of uh, Japan is taking our jobs, which led to uh, this uh, murderous attack on Vincent Chen, um, who is actually Chinese American, not Japanese. Um, but uh, that's a very clear illustration of like what's at stake. And we're seeing that sort of phenomenon um, uh, mushroom again. Well. First of all, Toby, I I want to thank you for for coming on. We're nearing the end here, but I I just I want to say to our listeners, we believe this show is not just about punditry. It's about our own agency in this democratic process, and I think we're at a really one of the reasons I asked Toby to come on. I think we're at a really important point, and those polling numbers are terrifying if politicians take advantage of that and don't lean into the polling numbers Toby brought up. And we just have a critical role as progressive leaders to be vocal in our communities, especially on issues like this, when you see how they can cut and even get into our, quote, democratic base, that we have to be leaders and demand and expect more and help help show the way, right? Toby talked about that, show the way to like, you know, a positive response to this. Um, so uh, Toby, thank you, first of all, for your work globally right and nationally here leading on this stuff and taking the time to repeatedly come on our show and help us navigate and discuss this topic with um with our listeners thanks for having me again yeah well i wish i could say you know this will be solved and but we uh we look forward to having you on again to continue this conversation uh but uh folks again toby toby chow he's with justices global we'll have a link check out their work it's very important, uh, but we have to wrap up this outstanding show. Again, want to not, not only thank Toby, but thank Joel Lewis, who also joined us to talk about his organizing up in North Central Wisconsin. Folks, we got to wrap it up. Uh, again, you can find us everywhere around the socials. Check us out. And I want to encourage you to donate to our Supreme Court deep canvas work. We will have a link. It's called our Supreme Court Action Fund. We really are using those resources, and up till now, it's 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 all been Democratic, small small dollar donations. We are launching our hiring of our first field person from all of your donations. Thank you so much, and continuing to push forward and get off the ground and uh, do these important calls. But we'll talk to you next week, at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs>